Abraham could obey God because Abraham trusted that God was so faithful to his promises that even if Isaac were to die, God would raise him from the dead. Welcome to First and Foremost, a weekly broadcast of First Presbyterian Church in the heart of downtown Greenville. Senior Pastor Richard Gibbons invites you to join us as we study God's Word together and discover what is first and foremost in our lives. Genesis 22, chap chapter 22, verse 1. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, Take your son, your only son, the son who you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah and sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on the mount that I will show you. And early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. And when he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering... He set out for the place God had told him about. And on the third day, Abraham looked up and he saw the place in a distance. And he said to his servants, Stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there, and we will worship, and then we will come back to you. And Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering, and he placed it on his son Isaac, and he himself carried the fire and the knife. And as the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father Abraham, Father? Yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and the wood are here, Isaac said. But where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. And when they had reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there, and he arranged the wood on it. And he bound his son Isaac, and he laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. Here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God, because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. And Abraham looked up, and there was in a thicket he saw a ram caught by his horns. And he went over. And he took the ram and he sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place Jehovah-Jireh. The Lord will provide. And to this day it is said on the mountain, the Lord, it will be provided. Many of us can look back into our spiritual journey and we can see what we call a crisis of faith. A crisis of faith is a time in which we're faced with a tough decision that tests our commitment to God. And often that test comes when we have to obey God at great cost. 
This took place in my life when I was in my mid-twenties. I had just gotten, uh, just graduated from college. I was raising a family, but I was struggling to determine what God really wanted from my life. I had tried several jobs, and nothing seemed uh, to fit. And then I received the call to the ministry. And to me, it was like a light came on. I knew and understood now what God had been doing in my life. And I was excited about this, even though I knew that the life of a seminarian with a, with a, a wife and three children would likely be very difficult. And then the crisis came. My, father, my grandfather called me up one day and told me that he didn't believe that this idea of going to seminary was a good one. And he said that if I would uh, just forget it, that he would uh, see to it that I got a job in the civil service area. I could stay in Greenville, raise my family, have a consistent uh, salary with secure uh, insurance and benefits, and I would not have to endure the hardships of seminary. Now, I want to tell you that this was a real test for me because I had a lot of respect for my grandfather. I believe that he was a wise man, and I really didn't expect this from him. But sometimes in life, we are going to encounter this crisis of faith, a, fa a crisis that challenges us in some very sensitive area of our lives, and such is the case with Abraham. And so our text this morning starts out with a very bold and shocking statement. God comes to Abraham and says, Go, sacrifice your son. So God is testing Abraham, and he gives him this commandment that was sure to wrench his heart. Take, remember it, what he said there, take your son, your only son, that son that you love, Isaac, and I want you to go to the place that I'm going to show you. Now remember for a moment who this man Abraham is. This is the man that God had called to leave his family and leave all of his possessions and his security from Haran. And he said, I want you to go to this promised land, this land that I am going to show you. And Abraham obeyed. and He left the comfort and security of his home. With unquestioned obedience, he followed God to the land of promise. But now Abraham was being required to do something far more demanding. Now I believe that all of us could, could uh, understand Abraham if he were to balk at this request. I mean, I'm certain that Abraham could have said, God, if you could look back and see my life and see my obedience to you, this, this request is unfair. It doesn't make sense. It's, be, it's far beyond reason. Haven't I already proved to you that I'm equal to the task? That I have passed the test? But there's not even a suggestion or a hint that Abraham raised a voice in protest. Now the impact of this story, I believe, is even more dramatic when you look at the context in which it was given. When God had appeared to Abraham in Haran and told him to go to the land of promise, he had made several promises to him. He was, these promises were sure to affect Abraham and his future. And even 
affect the entire plan of salvation. Abraham, I have a plan for you and for your descendants. I am going to make a covenant with you. And you and your descendants will be the instruments through which I will accomplish the work of redemption. Through you I will begin a new nation. I'm calling you to be the father of a multitude that will number as many as the sands of the sea. I will bless you and I will multiply you. And I will make your name great. And not only that, but my plan for you will stretch down through the centuries. For one day a virgin will give birth to a son. And they will call his name Jesus because he will save his people from, his, from their sins. And what we learn from this text, as Paul explains it in Galatians chapter 3, is that God was actually giving the gospel to Abraham. Galatians 3.8 says, Scriptures foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announced the gospel in advance to Abraham when he said, All the nations of the earth will be blessed through you. Now, I belabor this point because this plan of God, called in the Bible the eternal covenant, and planned by God in, eterni in eternity, rested upon the survival of the line of Abraham. And who was this son of Abraham who God had chosen for this purpose? It was Isaac, not Ishmael, who had been born to Abraham earlier through his handmaid. But now we're really getting a little ahead of the story here because Abraham and Sarah were facing a crisis in their faith. A very challenging problem. You see, they're now in their 90s. And guess what? There's no children. Can you imagine what that was like? Abraham stops in and gets some pizza at the pizza parlor, and he walks in, and somebody says, Hello, father of a multitude. Hey, by the way, where are the kids these days? How are they doing? And I'm sure even around the supper table, Sarah would say, You know, Abraham, what's going on here? You know, what, is, what are we going to do? We don't have any children. We're now into our 90s. I'm beginning to wonder if this whole thing of us moving from Haran to here and trying to find the promised land and being a part of God's eternal plan of redemption, I'm beginning to wonder if it's worth it at all. Yes, Sarah, Abraham would say, I know what you mean. But all we can do is wait. And they waited. And they waited. And finally it happened. Abraham and Sarah had two visitors. That, would re that revealed to them that Sarah would soon give birth to a son. And that son would be named Isaac. And that son would be the promised seed of Abraham. And so it happened. And ah, the relief. Ah, the joy. Ah, the laughter. Abraham named his son Laughter. Isaac. God had finally made good on his promise. 
Now, you know, it seems to me that the birth of Isaac would be the best place for the story of Abraham to end. I mean, look at what we've had. Wonderful demonstrations of the faithfulness of God. And the faith of Abraham, even though it had wavered in time at times, had been strong. But we know from chapter 22 that the story doesn't end here. And so let's look at what happened. You know that the story of the birth of Isaac would be the starting point of God's plan of salvation. But here God in verse 1 says, Get up, Abraham, and go to Moriah. There's going to be a place that I want you to sacrifice your son. Now, Moriah was the place where many years later, Solomon was going to build the temple. And many scholars believe that the word Moriah means seeing or teaching. So we can ask, what would be seen on Mount Moriah? What was the here that God wanted Abraham to see? What was he wanting to teach Abraham? What was he wanting Abraham to learn? And the question is the same for us. What is being taught at Moriah? What is God wanting to show you and to me? What is this experience all about? Why is this story even in the Bible in the first place? I believe there are two things. Number one, we learn at Moriah the cost of discipleship. Here God gives Abraham specific instructions that seem to contradict everything he's told Abraham before. When he says, go and take your son Isaac, your only son, and offer him as a burnt offering, we could ask, how can this possibly be? I mean, what a crisis of faith. What is Abraham to do? If he obeys God, he cuts off the very seed that God promised would be a blessing to the world. The loss of Isaac would be the undoing of the very plan of redemption. And so I'm sure that Abraham thought, Hey God, what about this covenant you made with me? You know, that binding promise that which you gave to me and to my descendants, that you, were, you bound yourself to the plan of redemption throughout all the ages? What about that plan? But what did he do? None of that. The text gives us a vivid scene. Abraham gets up early. He saddles his donkey. He cuts the wood that's necessary for the sacrifice. He puts it on the donkey and he takes two of his servants with him along with Isaac. And then somewhere along the way, Isaac's curiosity kind of gets the best of him. And he says, hey, Dad, what's going on here? I see the wood and the fire, but where's the lamb for the sacrifice? And Abraham answered, My son, God himself will provide a lamb for the offering. God will provide. Jehovah Jireh. And that is the story of the gospel. The Lord will provide a lamb for the burnt offering.
This incident in the life of Abraham has been called a test. God was, taste, was testing Abraham. But I don't want you to think that this was a test that somehow earned God's favor. It wasn't like God was saying, okay, we'll see whether or not you're really my child and my son if you do this. It was not a matter of Abraham's acceptance in the sight of God. This test was a test in which Abraham's trust in God's promise would be taken to its highest level. It was a test of Abraham's faith. Would he obey God or not? Now, as I read this story, there's one question that haunts me and maybe you as well. And it's this. How in the world could Abraham do this? And with no hesitation. What was it about this man's life that would enable him to just give up something that it was so much a part of his life and his future? And think of yourself as I think of myself. If God came to you and, and, and said for you to give up the most important thing, the most cherished thing in your life, how many of us here today could say that we would respond with the same obedience as Abraham did? So I want to know, what is his secret? What brought him to this place of radical obedience? Well, I see in Abraham's life that there were two features that led up to this obedience. First of all, Abraham had an intimacy with God. Do you know that Abraham is the only person in the Bible that was ever called the friend of God? And what about that friendship? What did it mean? It meant that he knew God. It meant that he spent time in God's presence. That he communed with God regularly. That he didn't believe that God was some far off distant deity with no concern for the welfare of his creation. He and God were close friends. If we're ever going to have this kind of obedience, if we're ever going to lay aside the cost of obedience, we must begin here with intimacy with God. We must have a deep thirst. We must have an all-consuming love for Him. For obedience of this sort is impossible without first learning to walk with God. And then in addition to his intimacy with God, Abraham obeyed God because he trusted God. The intimacy that he enjoyed with God had taught him a lot about the character of God. And through this walk with God, Abraham learned that, that God was 100% faithful to his covenant promise. And we, when we look at Abraham, I don't know if you noticed this when I read the passage... But when Abraham took Isaac and he told the servants, he said, stay here with the donkey and I and the boy will go over there and we will worship and we will return. Now folks, I've got a problem here. <laughs> if Abraham sacrifices Isaac, how are they both going to return? We have the answer to that question in Hebrews chapter 11. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He, Abraham, 
who had embraced the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son. Even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead, and so in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from the dead. Folks, the point is this. Abraham could obey God because Abraham trusted that God was so faithful to his promises that even if Isaac were to die, God would raise him from the dead. So you see, Abraham held nothing back from God because he trusted God to be faithful to his covenant. Now I have a question for us this morning. What is your Isaac? What is mine? What are you holding back today? What are we holding back? What is it that stands between us and God that holds back his blessings and keeps us from enjoying the full outpouring of his Holy Spirit? Well, it's not a difficult thing to answer. Look at what lies at the heart of your time. Look at where you invest your finances. Think about the things that really excite you and the things that put a smile on your face. Now, that thing could be a sin in your life, a sin that you've grown to adore, and you know it's wrong, but you can't give it up, a relationship that's caused you to compromise your standards, an online habit of gambling and pornography. You know it's wrong, you just can't stop. Or maybe there's a scandal you're involved at at work now. It started out pretty small. You were being asked to do some things that you know you shouldn't do. But now it's beginning to spiral out of control. And God is saying, it's time to give it up. It's time to bring it to the altar and give it to me. Or that thing could be something quite innocent. Not wrong in itself. Your children, your career, your bank account, your retirement, your reputation, your hobby, your sports teams. And you've begun to invest so much of your time in this that you can't hardly even imagine what life would be like without it. God says it's, it's time to sacrifice it. Sacrifice it to me and put it on the altar. But what I want us to see is this. That this story and the point of our lives is really not primarily, not primarily about obedience. The issue at stake here is not so much what you're going to give up, but are you going to trust God with your life? Do you really believe that He has the best for you? Do you really believe that He wants to give you the true riches in life, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, goodness, meekness, and self-control? Do we really believe that God has the best plan? And when we really believe that, this kind of radical obedience is not quite so unreasonable. As a matter of fact, it's the only reasonable response. But finally, there's a second thing that we learn at Moriah. We not only learn the cost of discipleship, 
but we learn the price of redemption. Without so much as a whimper or complaint, Abraham built the altar, and he tied his son Isaac up, and he placed him on the altar. And who of us can imagine, as he took that knife to slay his son, what was going through Abraham's mind? Was he sure that this is what God had said? Was he certain that it was God that had spoken to him? But at that moment, a familiar voice called out, Stop, Abraham. Don't do it. Don't harm the lad. And Abraham looked up, and he saw a ram caught in the thicket. And he took that ram, and the Bible says that he offered him as a burnt offering, a sacrifice instead of Isaac. And the scripture says, from that mount it was to be called Jehovah-Jireh. The Lord will provide. What will the Lord provide? We've just celebrated it. A sacrifice for you and for me. And many years later, John the Baptist would walk the streets of Israel And he would point to Jesus and he said, The Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. What is the cost of discipleship? The cost of discipleship is everything. What is the price for our redemption? It cost God everything to send his Son to become sin for us and bear the awful curse of sin. For on a mount just a few miles from Moriah, there's a place called Golgotha where God sacrificed His Son for you and for me. And as we have celebrated the Lord's Supper, we have been reminded of the price of that redemption. That God has called us to a life of radical obedience. But hear this, when the obedience fails, when the obedience falls short, when you miss the mark and you're full of guilt and you don't know what to do, the Lord will provide a sacrifice. Jesus Christ, who himself is the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world. Let us pray. Our God, as we think, think about the sacrifice and the price that you have paid for our redemption, we ask, Lord, that the sacrifices that we made would be seen in, the light, in that light. And that, Lord, we would see your faithfulness, we would see your love, that we would join in an intimacy with you that would help us to see more clearly than ever that you are a God who will always be faithful to your promise. So take us, Lord. Point out those areas of disobedience. Point out those Isaacs in our life that need to be sacrificed to you. For your honor and glory we ask. Amen.
To purchase a DVD of today's message, please send a check or money order for $10 to First Presbyterian Church and include today's program number. For more information, call 864-672-1846 or visit our website at firstpresgreenville.org. A few spots remain for our day camp the week of July 7th and our basketball camp the week of July 21st. Every day is different and full of fun. Contact the activities office, 235-0496.